Good morning, everybody. It's always a joy to see everyone here and to, to share a kingdom with you and to share a church with you. So let's pray. Father, we believe that all of your promises towards us will come true. We believe, Lord, that the, uh, the difficulties and the troubles and the afflictions that we face in this age are preparing us for a greater glory in the next and that as we wrestle through all of the difficult points of knowing you, then we, we, we know, Lord, that each of the uh, hard work that we put in will pay off, that we will see the rewards of even up to eternal life. So, Lord, we ask that today you would speak to us through your word. We ask that you would challenge us to view our lives differently and that our whole perspective would be shaped by uh, what it is that you have spoken and said. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to work. What does it mean to you? Is it the, the place where you wake up and you go, yes, I'm going into work today? Is it the, it, is it the uh, are you living out the, the childhood dream that every little kid has, where, they say, where they've heard many people say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Are you, did you grow up every morning saying, when I grow up, I really want to help people. And then you got old enough that you started to actually work. And in, the, and in the work experience, I'm willing to bet that you experience things you were never warned about as a child. Every kid wants to be an astronaut until they have to start learning calculus. <clears throat> Lots of kids want to be doctors until they get to organic chemistry. If you've, uh, if you've ever had to take orgo, you know what we're talking about. Lots of, and anyone who's ever wanted to do a service profession, whether that's teaching or ministry or anything else, you may feel differently about serving people, helping people, once you've actually met some of those people. And the experience of work, we begin to realize, has a big disconnect between the way it should be and the way it actually is. The way, that, the way that work kind of gets pictured in our minds when we're four years old and the way that it actually gets lived out once we're 24, 34, 44 years old. And this is a ser sermon series about that. It is a theology of work. Now, when I use that word theology, I better pin this one down real quick because when I took theology in college, and yes, I took theology in undergrad because Nyack College is full of huge nerds. Um, when I first started taking theology, what that meant was they slapped a huge book in front of you, a big blue one, by a, by a dude named Wayne Grudem, and it was called Systematic Theology. And when you read it, it starts from the beginning of like, who is God? And it works its way through all of these different theological questions. And I have to say, as far as theologies go, this was a pretty good one. But you know what? Theology is dry reading. It really is. <clears throat> so if I was to put it a little bit differently, I would compare theology, when it's rightly lived, to being a little bit like a Greek myth or like a fairy tale, which is to say that it's a story that helps us understand and know how to live in all of our other stories. Theology says, what's the best way for me to live in line with what God teaches? How can, I, how can my life look like the lives of those crazy people we meet in the Bible? That's really what theology at its best is. Theology isn't just something that exists up in your uh, cerebrum somewhere. No, it's it's life, it's life as you actually walk it out with God. In Hebrew, they have a word for that, but I won't bore you by going into that part. But suffice it to say, theology is walked out. It is lived. 
And that's our goal in going through this theology of work. It's not just to say, so what is the meaning of work? But it's to say, how can I view work, what I do, as not just a part, a part of my life, which is disconnected from the presence of God, but how can my whole life become the process of uh, living with God in it? And the more, well, meaningless, the more disconnected our, our work is from our life, from our heart, the more important it is for us to grasp this. To say, what was the purpose of work meant to be? How has it fallen short of that? And how do we start reconnecting things? That's a re this is a really important point, isn't it? So when we start talking about uh, work, this is inevitably going to lead us back to the first workers. So uh, we are, today's Bible passage is going to be from Genesis 3, and I'd like to call Miss Katie to read for us. My voice, as you can hear, is a little bit less than 100%, so uh, the more people I can have reading Bible verses for me, the happier I am today. And she'll read for us Genesis 3, 14 through 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Yeah. So, if you've never heard that passage before, if you have heard it, you're like, oh, I see where this is going. But if you've never heard this passage before, here are some of the, here's some of the context of that. When God created the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, he created them for a purpose. He made them to have a role and a... Uh, to, to fill a position that was different from any of the animals that lived upon the face of the earth. Humans are a lot like animals in many ways. You know, you can compare the, our different behaviors to uh, the higher primates, chimps and bonobos and things like that. Or you can compare us to like crows or dolphins or octopi. But there's something about humans which is different than any of those things. And sure, we can say there are some comparisons, but there are a lot of things we do that are really, really different. And the Bible describes that, that first profession, that first job, as having basically two parts. God creates the man and the woman to be like him. He makes them in their, his own image and places them in the garden of Eden. How many of you, guys, how many of you would say you are in some way outdoorsy people? Okay, I'm an outdoorsy person. I like, uh, I like forests in particular. I like deserts. I like caves. Those are my favorite habitats. But, it's, but there are, um, there's something about sunlight that I need to be part of my life. If I go too long without getting sunlight, it just harms me. Some, there's something about a computer's glow that just doesn't do it for you. The same way that like, 8 o'clock a.m. sunshine does. 2 o'clock p.m. sunshine, I'll go easy on that, but morning sunlight is the best. The, and there's something about gardening, if you've never done it, that is just like 
healing to the human soul. There's something about working with plants and growing them, and especially producing by growing them. If you know, you know. Where there is a, it, you can tell it is something that humans were designed to do. We were designed to cultivate. It is, it's a major part of our uh, identity. We grow things. Whether it's growing crops, like what the man was doing, or whether it's growing children, like what the woman was doing. Um, there is the growing things is the, is the heart of what keeps us close to the image of God. It is, the, it is the nature of what humans were meant to do. And if some of you are like, I don't see how my work has anything to do with that, then you begin to grasp some of the problem of why we feel so, uh, so alienated from our work, don't we? That, that, that something has gone fundamentally wrong. And that's actually the entire uh, theme of what we're talking about next week. Why, why it's so hard for us to connect with so many of the work images from the Bible, which are primarily farming images, agricultural images, amen? We're just like, I don't get it. Because as, as life has urbanized and our jobs have moved away from, well, wheat into computers, from apples into, well, different apples, we have a, uh, in many ways, we, we've sort of lost part of that, that, that we've, we can easily lose sight of that part of our soul, which is meant to actually connect with our work. So, and we'll get to that in more detail next week. But if we say, why should I care about work, right? I mean, will there be work in eternity? The answer might not be what you expect. I mean, we, we don't normally think about working in heaven, but... That's how Eden is presented. Eden is a place where Adam and Eve work. Not only that, they have two jobs. And their jobs are pretty simple ones. One of them is they take care of the garden. They tend the garden. It's not just a wild forest. It is a, it's a cultivated space. It's a place where they keep uh, grapes and figs and blood oranges and all sorts of other things that people like to eat. They're... Uh, it's often described, Eden is described oftentimes in terms of fruit trees, and that's a big part of their experience. And this was part of the experience of the people who received this too. The, uh, any, anyone who's from a Mediterranean culture, like, well, Caitlin and then who knows who else, will tell you that a lot of it is about, a lot of Mediterranean culture is about what you produce. It's about olives. It's about grapes. Above all else, about grapes, right? It's a, and it's, uh, you have the joy of growing things and then enjoying them. And this is what Adam and Eve were supposed to be experiencing. They were, uh, agri they were farmers. They were growing this, this wild space and making it into a cultivated, ordered space. But they also had a second mission, and that was that, that when uh, Adam was brought into the world, there were already a zillion animals. How many of you folks have kids? Any, any, any folks with kids here? How many of you like to play with kids that aren't yours? Yeah? Okay. I know there are a few of you that are like young me, and you're just like, I'd rather not do any, either of those things. But <clears throat> one thing you can count on with kids for the life of me, I cannot figure out where it comes from. It, maybe it's just something inherent about human nature. But from our earliest ages, people love naming animals. We love naming animals. Have you noticed that? Look at how many children's shows are animals. Look at how many books for kids are about animals. Every kind of animal under the sun. And Adam's job was to tend the garden and to name and become king of the animals. All right? So the Lord is his king, and he's king of the animals. The Lord made him a garden, and now he's taking care of the garden. So you might say that the, human, that the first role in human work is to work under the Lord. He is our boss. He is our contractor, and we work for him. He, he, he kind of sublets the earth to us. This is the nature of, this is what work is supposed to be. And then obviously you can see how things start to break down from there. 
But something terrible happens in God's wonderful garden. And this begins the and this is the first reason we should care about um, work. What is it about work that makes work inherently spiritual? Yet this idea of secular work that we have is is sort of a new concept. It never used to exist, and in reality, it doesn't really exist. But one of them is that work shapes our identity. Okay, work shapes our identity. When we talk to a person for the first time, we say, hey, how are you? There are lots of questions you can ask. There are many questions you should ask. You know, hi, what, what's, your, uh, what's your family of origin? And, you know, what's your church background like? Or do you have kids? Do you have a family? Tell me about what life was like growing up. Those are questions you ask if you want to get really close to somebody or get shut down really quickly. But Um, but usually early on in the conversation will come, uh, what do you do for a living? What's your job? And the question is practical because we like, we want to know, you know, you spend a huge amount of your work doing this. What are you doing? But part of it also is that it helps us see what are the other uh, shaping forces on the person's life. Does the person have a job that requires them to just work really hard with their body all day, but their mind is free to think? Do they have a job where they're just like pushing buttons and inputting data on a computer all day and they're bored half to death? Do they have a job where they have to work with people in incredibly test and incredibly difficult and tiresome situations where they are managing people, but also having to deal with the worst of people's problems? Each of those kind of jobs put different sort of stresses, different sort of pressures on a person's heart. And if you know what a person does, you've made a lot of progress towards understanding the forces that shape that person's life. In fact, I would say that if you understand a person's job and then understand a person's family, you understand like probably 90 to 95% of the things that actually are shaping that person. And, but what you're also describing is, and this is a big thing, probably 95% of the space where Satan is likely to attack them. Amen? One, our identity is really closely tied to our job. But because of that, like it or not, our, our job is going to become spiritual because it is, it is one of the primary battlegrounds where we will experience spiritual warfare. It is one of the primary battlegrounds where we will experience spiritual warfare. More so than church, way more so than church, uh, probably about equal with, within your family. This is one of the, the significant areas where Satan will test us. How do we know? Because it's been happening from the beginning. Adam and Eve are in this beautiful garden. They have ideal circumstances. They are walking with the Lord every day. How many of you think you might do better in your spiritual life if you had a chance to like go to church and worship up and like get real strong every day? Anybody? Sometimes I think the Koreans, although I don't think I could wake up as early as some of them grandmas do, I think that idea of starting your day with uh, meeting together and worshiping the Lord, and I don't know if we really need the preaching part, but they have the, the, the prayer they do at the beginning of the day, I'm like, that sounds really good. But what you then will experience <clears throat> is that as you start getting out into the workplace, you will meet temptation. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. Adam has two jobs, what are they? Okay. So he, so he tends the plants, and he's king of the animals, right? He takes care of the plants, and he's king of the animals. So yes, farming and naming. And look at where Adam and Eve face their first temptation. Is their first temptation anything between the two of them? That would be my first suspicion, right? 
my first suspicion would be that they would be tempted in the realm of the family because we know the family is such a big deal, right? But no, actually, the temptations regarding family come in after that first initial temptation. That's a, kind of the second temptation, you know, where Adam and Eve start to blame each other once they've already sinned. But the first one, the first one, is that Adam sins because he's tempted by an animal. And he sins because he eats the fruit from a plant. What gets Adam in trouble? Workplace temptation. Right? How many of us think about going to work as if it's a place where we need to put on the full armor of God, the stands in the day of trouble? I mean, we don't, it's, it seems so much more normal to us than that, doesn't it? It's just part of our ordinary life. We don't think of it like, I'm riding into battle today. I better be prepared to meet Satan and face him in all of my challenges. But in reality, that's what work is. is it's a battleground. It's the place where we become the, the front-facing kingdom of God in its closest and most intimate encounters with the kingdom of darkness is, is right there at work. And sometimes we miss all of the tells that would tell us that we're starting a spiritual battle or that we're entering into temptation, but all of those things will be there. And what happens is, and, and this I really believe, you say, well, why a snake in Genesis uh, 3? Why is it that, um, that Satan, when he goes into the garden, I mean, like, the Bible calls Satan Satan in lots of other places. There are, there are times where he's called a dragon. There are times where he's, you know, it's clear that he's a spiritual being. So why not just say, you know, this, like, evil spiritual being entered into the garden and tempted Adam? Well, because if they do, there are other reasons, but one of them is if they did that, it wouldn't be so clear that Adam was messed up uh, in his work. That he had a... Th that as soon as this, this, the devil appeared to him as a serpent, that, that this, was a, this was a case where it wasn't like um, this was a higher being call, calling Adam to say, come and be like me. No, this was a lower being. The serpent should have been the one, of, uh, one of Adam's employees. This is an underling who's trying to ingratiate himself to a superior. Satan was not higher than Adam. And that's part of what they were saying in saying that he was a, a serpent. They were saying that, that, that there was this, this was not an equal relationship, in other words. Not only that, but, they, but in eating from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, uh, which he had been commanded not to eat, he showed us that in each of our work, even in the most ideal work, there are going to be some doors that we know should be left closed. And whatever your job is, you know what those, you know what those things look like. You say, man, how is it possible for a person who does my job to be tempted? This is one of those things you should actually sort of go through in your mind and actually think it out. Um, for instance, uh, as a pastor, I know that there are going to be a few different temptations that waylay pastors. One of them is uh, pastors can easily get full of themselves. They think, I'm the greatest, I'm the best. And they, they, and they make all of the church a cult of personality where everything is about them. Until people pay lip service to God, but the pastor is really the star of the show. Another issue where pastors can have a hard time is if pastors have a real fear of people and they say, well, my purpose in doing things is to get recognized and to have people say, you're doing such a great job and I love you so much. And if they're not getting that, then they just stop going. Uh, and I could name others. Obviously, we know a lot about the, uh, the financial and sexual temptations that we've seen many Christian ministers fall into. But I say this because, A, it's me, and B, it's, the, it's one of these things I think we've all heard about. But what most people don't know is if I was to take us through every one of your jobs, we might say, hmm, 
What are the possible ways I could fall into danger? I could fall into sin doing what I'm doing. Hmm. Let's see. People could ask me to do something. My, my higher-ups could ask me to do something that I believe is really unethical. And I'd be questioned, you know, will I do this or not? You know, that's one possibility. Uh, people could ask me for help, and I could give them a really nasty, unloving response. That's another one. Uh, I could get way too close to a coworker and go past my, my safe and appropriate boundaries. That's another one. And you just go through the whole list and you say, what are the ways that I could fall into trouble? And I promise you, not every one of them is going to come up, okay? No one faces every temptation except Jesus. And Jesus had to. Because unless he could be faithful against every temptation, uh, then he couldn't be like the, the, our champion who would stand in for all of us. So the only one who's ever going to face every temptation is Jesus. But what you'll find is, when you go to work, if you know what all of the possible temptations are at your job, you'll be better armored, to, better armed to say, huh, I think this one is right from the, right from the devil. You'll say, man, I, I find myself falling into this trap. I keep thinking horrible things about my boss and thinking of all of the amazing creative ways I could get revenge. You know, you, you, just, you just go through it and you see how is it I'm going to be attacked today. Because we can be guaranteed from the Bible, work is a place where we will be attacked. It's a place where we're not standing immediately in the presence of God. And not only that, unless you founded your own business, and this is, uh, this is kind of one that leads into our modern world, not many entrepreneurs here, no? Not, not a whole lot of small business owners in our congregation. It might be different in another church. And what, part of what that means is when you are, if you, one big difference between, let's say, your family and your workplace is that in your family, <clears throat> you can establish uh, the spiritual battle with home field advantage. You can have a little poster up on your wall that says, Jesus is the Lord of this house, right? And while that little poster doesn't necessarily mean a lot by itself, what it does is it's saying, uh, Satan and his forces are not welcome here. What it's saying is, here is what we believe, and here's how we're doing things. At home, you have the choice of what songs you're playing over your sound system. Amen? And if, it, and if it's not, you know, praise the Lord, I, he is, he is, for he is good, that's on you, not on, the, not on the devil. Amen? Like, we have the decision of how we're going to fight the spiritual battles we face at home. We have a lot more control over the circumstances. But when we're at work, it's like we're invading another country. It's like you have the, your, your, boss, your boss, your employer, to some extent your coworkers, have, a cho have the choice to limit how many of those advantages you can bring with you. You don't necessarily have a desk on your, you don't necessarily have a little sign on your desk that says, Jesus is the Lord of this desk. And I mean, you might. If, people, if, your, if your boss lets you do it, so much the better. But, it's, but there are going to be times where you're going to have to fight on the devil's terms, where your workplace will not be a safe space to be a Christian and to do Christian things. And that means that, that this is one of the, that, that warfare done here is going to be more difficult, more challenging. We're more likely to fall into temptation at work than we are in practically any other corner of our life. So work has, a, work has this huge impact on our identity. Work also is this, uh, is this uh, hot spot, this gathering place for spiritual warfare. And if, and if it was put this way, you'd say, man, oh, this is sounding really challenging. But the, the third thing we really need to keep in mind about why work matters so much, why build the theology of work, part of it is that work also defines how the Lord will speak to us and what the language of his um, communication with us, what that will look like. See, I mentioned a few times now 
that the Bible likes to use a whole lot of agricultural language, the language of growing stuff, to describe our relationship with him. And a big part of that is that's how people lived. If you read a famous Bible passage like Psalm 23, where David goes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that meant something to him, a lot more so than it means something to us, because he was a shepherd. Shepherding was what David did. And because of that, in saying the Lord is my shepherd, he was able to go deep with that metaphor and think about all of the things he did with his sheep and think about how the Lord was able to do those things with him. In other words, his work provided David a metaphor for understanding his relationship with God and how God could relate to him. And similarly, as we begin, if, if we live our work understanding the spiritualness of it, understanding that it's not just, an, uh, you know, this secular thing, which is the opposite of church in my life, but understanding that it's a major part of who I am and what I do, then we'll, be, then we'll begin to, to process our work and we'll start seeing all of the ways in which it relates to who God is and what he has done with us. In other words, God is calling us to become, in many ways, a new David. He is calling us to write new Psalm 23s. He is calling us to consider the ways in which what we do are like and unlike what he does. Now, uh, time out, caveat here. You'll often hear me say that there are really two kinds of significant work, okay? And this is probably where we need to make that distinction. The first kind is what we might call honest work. <clears throat> honest work is work that adds to the world. When farmers grow things, the world has more food in it. When doctors save, save people's lives, the world has more people in it and wholer people in it. When, uh, when poets write, there is more beauty in the world. Well, maybe not 21st century poets, but we can, we can forgive that part, right? So there is a, in other words, honest work adds something to the world. We are all richer because a person is doing this work. Now, maybe it may not always feel that way if that value is buried like two layers or three layers deep. And we'll talk about this a little more next week when we get into why we feel so like distant from what it is that we do uh, <clears throat> from Deuteronomy 28. But the... Uh, but, but that is honest work. Honest work says I'm adding. Dishonest work is one where if you're in it, I'm going to encourage you to quit. Okay? Dishonest work is living as a parasite. Okay? And if you think about a mosquito, it tells you a lot about the, or a tick, it tells you a lot about the world. Some, some, some produce... Others simply mooch. Uh, if you own a casino, I would say that's dishonest work. If you are someone who is a drug dealer, dishonest work, right? If, you're, if, you're, if your job is subtracting from the value of the world, <clears throat> that's dishonest work. So I, I have to say that throughout the theology of work, okay, I have to admit, this does not apply equally to all jobs. And there are some jobs where, where I'm saying, you know what, you're going to face temptation, but remember, you're, 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 you know, you're there doing the Lord's work. Let's time out here. Because if you're a bank robber, your job is not presenting you with temptation. Your job itself is sin. Okay? Bank robber is not an honest profession. It's a big-time problem. Um, and this is an obvious one, but some of you, man, I bet you're really, you've, you've, you've met aspects of your job where you're going to feel really conflicted. You're going to say, holy smoke, how do I do this? Uh, is there a way that I can do my job righteously as a, um, 
pharmacist, and what do I do if I notice that there's an if there's a person who's asking for too many opiates or something, you know what I mean? There's going to be an, there's going to be an element of it where you say, or uh, to give you one from my own life, I guess, if you're a pastor, you better know beforehand how you're going to deal with people who want to be baptized because they want to, uh, to immigrate into the U.S. to seek political asylum. So, and these are questions that you have to have uh, thought about beforehand where you say, I know how I'm going to um, address these things, and some professions, yes, do a better job of, of uh, dealing with, with those issues than others, but all of us are going to face some of them. We're going to be faced with these big moral question marks. Towards the end of this series, we're going to read a, a story from the Bible that will take all of these different issues and begin tying them together and wrapping them up with a neat little bow, and it will be the story of Daniel. One of the things you're going to see right from the beginning of that book is that Daniel will receive a job against his will, which he knows is going to get him in trouble. He gets the job of, of diviner, right? I do divination for the king. And he goes, holy smoke, how am I going to live through this to the end of the book? So I promise you, however difficult your work is, whatever challenges it presents you with, you will, the Lord understands He's been here before. He's seen people working, including in some really nasty situations from the beginning of the world. And if we're willing to grapple with these things, if we say, Lord, I want to meet you at my job. I want to, I want to be able to think about my job the way that King David could think about shepherding until I know what it means that the Lord is my accountant, until I know what it means that the Lord is my uh, pastor, until I know what it means that the Lord is my bus driver, until I know what it means that the Lord is my graphic designer, that, 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 that in our job, we can, we can, we can bring it back and um, begin to understand him the way that Peter and John understood what Jesus was calling them to do in terms of fishing. Whenever you see that fish on the back of somebody's car, that, that, is, that, that is a symbol of Christianity, just as certainly as the cross. Think about it this way. Those 12 guys, the apostles, a bunch of them were fishermen, and Jesus kept bringing back fish over and over again over the course of his ministry. Parables about fish. Miracles about fish. The only thing in the Bible we ever see Jesus cook is a grilled fish. There is just, it's just fish out your eyeballs. To the point where if you have problems with fish, you're going you're gonna to have some difficulty with the New Testament, aren't you? Sorry, I know I speak to some present. But, but it's, uh, why is it that the New Testament is so brimming with fish? It's because these were people who were called to think deeply about the nature of work. These weren't just people who were going, oh, I'm catching some fish. Okay, I'm going to leave fish and follow Jesus. They literally were people who left fishing to follow Jesus. And yet, all of the stuff they had about fishing was stuff that followed them through their whole lives. Jesus calls Simon Peter, and he doesn't say, yeah, leave that fishing stuff behind. He says, I will make you a fisher of men. And, and this is a call to fundamentally see our job differently. It's a chance to say, if, this is, if what I'm doing is going to be such a big part of who I am, then I better grapple with what it is the Lord would have to say to me about who he is and what he's doing in uh, where I am and what I'm doing. How is it that the Lord is like this? Uh, second note here, okay? Kind of parentheses. There are some people who may feel the dis a disconnect with all of this talk about work because of where you are in terms of life stage. Uh, a retired person, I would have a different words for, but I don't think we have any here, so I'm just not going to address it at the moment, okay? Be a little, a little lazy out of practicality by not addressing the retired. But, but, but here are two other possibilities that are real ones, okay? If you are a full-time uh, parent, being real here, let, let's, let's, stage, let's phrase this in terms of being a full-time mom, because that's the huge majority of the pe people you're going to talk about there. It is itself an honorable, 
profession, a vocation, a calling, if you will. And one of the things you'll find is just, just the same way that you can talk about the Lord is my shepherd, you can also say the Lord is my parent. And all of the parenting things you can look through will, will also teach you a great deal about who God is and how he feels about us. I know that certainly in my own parenting experiences, I've learned a great deal about how the Lord feels about me. Uh, babies need their diaper changed, but when you take their diaper off, they get cold and they cry. And how often is it the case that the, that the Lord has to deal with something in my heart, but when he, but when he actually starts dealing with the, whatever it is is going in my heart, I feel uncomfortable and I start to cry, right? So not all crying is bad crying. Some of it you just have to say, well, diapers got to be changed one way or the other, right? So cry your eyes out, baby. It'll be over soon. And this is how God relates to us. So even if your work is um, seamlessly joined to your family life, you still will be able to get a lot out of what we're talking about today. It's just that your work is kind of in a different category. And that's totally cool. Second of all, students. Holla at my students. Any students here? Okay. If you're a student, <clears throat> it's tempting to take all of this work stuff and view it as something as being in the future. And by being in the future, I mean kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You're like, oh, I guess I can tune this one out and, uh, until we get to our theology of study or something. So uh, whatever, I'll leave work for tomorrow. But see, here's the thing. If I was to tie this one back to Daniel again, Daniel had to decide how he was going to live in his working life when he was still in his studying life. If you, get to, if you start reading something like Daniel 1, you'll see he's not working yet. He's a student. And right at that early stage, they have to, he and his three friends say, are we going to stay pure here? And they're like, yeah, we're going to stay pure. Even if it hurts us? Yeah, even if it hurts us. And the decisions they make as a student will affect them all throughout their working lives. And you see that happen throughout the whole rest of the book. So I'm encouraging you now, the time to understand how to view work is, bef is before you start working. And in our American culture, I would add to that, the time to understand work is before you pick your career. Too late? Okay. But then you're in the same boat as everyone else. But, but when you go into it, don't go in expecting everything to be roses and daisies and pomegranates. No, there, there, are, going to be, <laughs> there are going to be days where it will, it will, you will experience the whole the workplace of spiritual warfare thing, and it will become very real to you very quickly. But what I'm encouraging you is, when that day comes, you will be able to, to recognize not only what the devil is doing at your job, but also what God is doing. <clears throat> and, you'll be able to, and you'll be able to take every one of your actions, yes, even if it's just tapping on the keyboard, and you're saying, oh Lord, I may be tapping on a keyboard, but I'm tapping on this keyboard for you. And your basic, simple acts of integrity and obedience and faithfulness will become part of your testimony that lasts until you're forever. So, I, so I'm encur encouraging us today not to view my church life and my work life as like opposites, as if they're separate parts of our life, but view them as being different phases of our faithfulness to God. Different phases of our faithfulness to God. Wherever you are in your workplace, whether it calls you to deal with data, whether it, call, whether it calls you to deal with people, whether it calls you to work with your hands, each of these things can teach us about the Lord. And if all of us have fallen under this curse where we're going to face suffering and we're going to face alienation, at least we know the Lord is at work and he is redeeming all of these things. And isn't it a joy at the end of the day 
to know that, that, to know that if Adam fell as ruler of the garden, if Adam fell as king of the animals, then Jesus, well, Jesus is another story, isn't he? Because you see, Jesus is the one who knows where all the fish are. Jesus is the one who can lead you to catch, to catch them all. I didn't mean that to be quite so Pokemon-esque, but if, you know, run with it if it's there. Jesus is the one who, who is still king of the animals. He is, and not only that, Jesus is the one who through his prayer in the garden said no to Satan's temptation. He is the one who said, <clears throat> if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but your, the Father's will be done. And he is the one who is able to restore us to a new and perfect work where we can begin to tear down this dividing wall of sacred and secular out there and in here. And we can, be, and we can let the, the, the Holy Spirit seep into our everyday lived experience because of what Jesus has done. Because out of this cursed ground that Adam had to work, the ground that would produce thorns and thistles for him, one might say out of the slavery of Egypt, where the, people, where the people worked really hard and somebody else got the profit. Out of this, out of this very uh, scenario, we receive the bread. And if we deal with this curse on our work, the feeling that all is not right with our working world, that all of the, the dreams of what work could be like have failed and come untrue, then we have this hope that just as the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, that just as this matzah has appeared for us on the table here, made of, of wheat which has come from the ground, so we have the hope that, that he will deliver us through what he has done. We have the promise that we can enter into new and powerful spiritual life. Yes, even at work. And through this cup, this grape juice, which is to us the blood of Jesus, we remember that Jesus, through his death, bore the consequences of that other fruit. That this blood of the grape, which we drink, represents for us the, the end of the, the death brought to us by the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And that through him, we can, we can receive the right to come back to God and be with him once more. Through the work, through the labor of Jesus on the cross, we can be reunited with God. So as we, um, as we come up and take communion today, let's allow it to be sort of a, a crossing of the curtain that we, will, that, that we will take this, um, this work that we offer up, the work of our hands, and that we will bring in the, the very hope, the very life of Jesus into each day of it. That if our, that if our Saturday and Sunday are holy, then our, Monday and through, then our Monday through Friday will be holy as well. And if this is you and you want it to be part of your life, then let's come up together and let's receive from the table of the Lord. When the lights are dim and our eyes are closed and we're standing here next to lots of other people who are standing here in church, it's easy to feel close to God. But when we're sitting in a cubicle or wearing the, the, a hat with a brand logo on it and standing behind a counter facing customers, it's real easy to forget how real God is and how much he's standing with us in that moment. So let's not allow ourselves to be deceived as if to believe that that world is more real than this one. But let's remember and be allowed to and be able to walk with the Lord in all the places where our feet tread, in all of the things which our hands do this week.
And I encourage you guys with this. Once we get upstairs and start eating, once we get out to the park and, and uh, talking and snacks and games start to happen, it's easy to get, to get pulled into the stream and the flow of normal life. So I'm going to hammer these two things again. Today, and maybe again later this week, and maybe at some point the week after that, and over and over again, list, write your own Psalm 23. Think through your job and say, and say, what does the Lord have to show me about who he is through what I do? Consider how the Lord is like your profession. Whether that's fishing or shepherding or accounting or teaching or anything else. Go through it. Grapple with it. Consider it. What, is, what would the Lord have to say to me regarding my work? Submit to God. Second, make up your list of how will I be tempted at work? What are my temptations at work? How will I know when temptation comes? And each time you meet a new temptation that you didn't recognize, add it to your list. Resist the devil. And you know what happens when we submit to God and resist the devil? He will flee from you. So let's do these two things this week, guys. We'll write our own Psalm 23. And we'll make our own little list of the ways in which, we've sin in which our job can lead us into sin. And as we meditate on these things, you're going to start seeing how, how your job will feel more like a part of your spiritual life rather than something that's the opposite of your spiritual life. So with this in mind, may the Lord bless you and protect you in all, of the, in all of the slings and arrows that Satan brings against you. May he fail because the Lord is with you to bless you and protect you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And however dull and dreary your work life is, you would be able to feel him shine. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and show you that he's paying attention. Upon you and give you peace. Amen. This is the official end of our service. Let's begin the spiritual discipline of loving one another. Amen. <laughs>